This is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at Le Banks St. Samson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Psalm 84, I just want to uh, read the first six verses from Psalm 84. I just love this psalm and some incredible truths in this. But Psalm 84. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord of hosts. My King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Just love this thought there of verse 6, the Valley of Baca. How do you change that Valley of Baca into a place of springs and pools? Springs and pools in the Bible always, if you like, refer to, to a move of God. So what's this picture really of a cloudless sky? How do you get a cloudless sky to kind of produce the rain? Baca, it's an interesting name. The word Baca means place of weeping. Have you ever been to that place? <laughs> place of weeping. Place of difficulty. That's something else I want to call. I think this is a massive thing. Place of disappointment. Disappointment. I just thought such a strong thing. Disappointment. I think a lot of Christians cover up their disappointments. I think, if you like, I think one of the real great hindrances to, to a move of God, to miracles, to God moving in supernatural ways, is often disappointment. Ever been there? You pray for someone, believe God to do that, to do a miracle for them, and it just never happened. Have you ever read that? Pray for people and it just never turns out the, the way that you, you kind of thought it would turn out. And a lot of people live with the unresolved pain of disappointment. Never really deal with it. Never really face up to the unresolved pain of disappointment. People can be even disappointed with God. How many have found that? You can live your life with the unresolved pain of being disappointed with God. You can be disappointed with people. People kind of never met your expectations. Truth is, nobody ever will. I hear that right? Everybody's flawed. And so no one will ever meet the total sight of our expectations. And so we can be disappointed with people. Disappointed the way circumstances turn out. And a lot of people keep the unresolved pain of disappointment, and it becomes this valley of Baca. See what the Bible says. 
It says, a heart deferred makes the heart sick. A heart deferred makes the heart sick. In other words, that when we get disappointed, disappointment that, that is not resolved in our hearts can leave us being sick emotionally, sick in our mind, even sick in our bodies. It can leave a, a sickness in our hearts. And often, I found this, that often that the cause sometimes for our, for our insecurities and the cause for, for, I think, for all kinds of, of fears and inferiorities, many of the roots of those problems lie in the root of disappointment. We feel insecure about certain things because we were disappointed at a certain time about that situation. So it's left us insecure over that situation. We feel insecure with people because people have disappointed us. And I kind of dropped all the stuff that's coming out there. And there's all kinds of things in life that, that fears, insecurities, can often find their root in unresolved disappointment. We've never really dealt with it. We've never really faced it. We've never really confronted it and put it right. We've never really brought it to the cross to allow that disappointment to be redeemed in our hearts and in our lives. And so we live with a sense of perpetual disappointment. It's never really been resolved in us. And that disappointment leads to a sickness inside our hearts. I love what he goes on to say in that, in that proverb. He says, but when desire comes, it's a tree of life. Isn't that fantastic? That when your, your dreams are fulfilled, when your aspirations are fulfilled, it makes you feel happy. You feel great. You feel good when you see your dreams and you're fulfilled. It's a tree of life. It's productive. It brings fruit. It, it brings joy and hope and all kinds of stuff to your heart. When your vision is fulfilled, amen. When your dream comes about. But if we don't deal with disappointment, and, and if you're in that valley of, of weeping and disappointment and failure, then I think it, it can actually limit us. That what happens is that we, if, we, if we've got perpetual disappointment inside our hearts that we've never resolved, that we haven't often, then when, when a big problem, when something hits our lives, we haven't got the inner resources to deal with it and face it because that, that, that disappointment that's never been resolved in us drains us, drains our strength, drains our emotional energy out. And so we can't face the challenges when they come. But the Bible says this, that, that when we live in this place of expectation and and we resolve, deal with all the disappointments. Here's what it says. It says, that valley of weeping, that valley of disappointment can be changed into something. It says it becomes a place of pools and springs. Isn't that amazing? So here's this place of valley of, of, of disappointment, this valley of weeping, this valley of sorrow. That if we would fulfill certain conditions, we can change it. That what become an incredible place of failure and disappointment, we can actually leave a spring. We can leave a blessing. We can leave something impacting. We can leave something influential. We can leave something of God's 
presence. Notice what it says. It says when you pass through Baca. It doesn't say you live there. It doesn't say you park there. It says you pass through it. And you pass through it and you leave it a better place than what you found it. You take that failure, you take that disappointment, you take that discouragement, and you turn it around to something amazing and something incredible. And you leave something of God's presence, God's blessing in that very place. Isn't that amazing? You pass through it, and you turn it around, and you transform it. And I think there's certain conditions, if you like, in this psalm that show you, reveal to you, you can turn around your valley of Baca. How many want to turn around the valleys of Baca? There's a few things that we need to do in this. Look what it says. Verse 1 and 2. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, just even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Here's the first thing. We minister to the Lord. He says, my soul longs. In other words, he says, I've got a, a passion for God. I'm going after God with my, my entire being, my emotions, my mind, every part of me is in pursuit of God. I think our purpose is to have continual encounters with God. I think that's how we're changed. That's how we're transformed, is by being in pursuit of God. Can you say amen? Pursuing God, going after God with all that's in your heart. You know what you find in, 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 in the Valley of Baca? You really discover what's really important. We found that. That when you really go through these times of difficulty, of sorrow, of, of that stuff, you really find what's really important in life. And I think one of the things you find that's most important in life is going after God, seeking after God. David says, in this valley of Baca, it's developed in me a passion to pursue God. He says, my soul longs, it faints. In other words, he says, I'm desperate. I'm desperate for God. I've got this overwhelming passion for him. And I'm seeing, it's not about my talents, it's not about my gifts, it's nothing about anything else. What I really want is God. I'm after God. I'm not so much after what he can do in me or, or do for me. The deepest yearning of my heart is I've got to have God. There's a passion burning in my heart, I've got to have God. There's a big question. How do you get passion for God? Is it that some people are born more with a passion for God than others? How do you develop that capacity to have a real passion for God? This is what I found. It will never come by hearing a sermon. It will probably never come just because someone's prayed for you. I think the way you develop a passion for God is first of all seeing how passionate he is for you. You'll never have a real passion for God until you first of all see he's passionate for you. He's got a burning, zealous heart for you. And until you get a revelation of that, until you grasp that in your heart, you'll never have a real passion for God. You see, if you think that God sees you as unlovable, 
Can you think that God sees you as a total, complete failure? And that's the way you perceive the way God sees you. How can you have passion for somebody who you don't think really loves you? Is that right? But when I get a revelation of the burning heart for God for me, when I see how burning and fiery his heart is for me, how passionate his heart is for me, then that instills in me a passion for him. And if you want passion for God, you need to say, God, give me a revelation of how passionate you are for me. I think the cross is an incredible revelation of the passion for God for you. Is that right? When I understand the depths of the cross, you know, I spend a lot of time, as much as I can each day, meditating, thinking of what Jesus did for me on the cross. And the reason why I think I need to do that is because if I could see how much passion he has for me, If I can see how much love and burning love he has for me, it's going to ignite something in me. I don't believe you can really fully understand the cross and be full of apathy and indifference in life. Is that right? How can you fully understand the cross and still be apathetic and indifferent? You can't. But when the cross really gets a hold of you, really grips you, and you see the passion of that cross, it burns something in you for a passion for God. I think it was C.T. Studd. How's this required? He said, if Jesus Christ be God and gave himself for me, how much more must I give my life for him? A burning passion for the living God. How? Notice what he says also. I just, how is that going to be expressed? How do we express our passion for God? How is it expressed? David sums up in this psalm, how is it expressed? It's expressed in worship. Talks about the tabernacle of David. You know, the tabernacle of David is, is different to the tabernacle of Moses. Tabernacle of Moses was very, if you like, ceremonial they went through. The tabernacle of David was 24-hour worship. They worshipped 24 hours every day, seven days a week. Isn't that amazing? And the Bible says in the last days, God is going to restore the tabernacle of who? Of David. And I, I just feel that, that, if we, that when we minister to him, something happens in life. Something, atmos- something happens in the atmosphere when we begin to minister to him. I think it's in the atmosphere of praise and worship that God can do amazing things. It says of Paul and Silas, when they prayed and they fasted and they ministered unto the Lord, the Holy Spirit said to them, set apart for the work I have for you. We could actually translate that verse and say, the Holy Spirit manifested himself. And if we really want God to manifest himself in our lives and our circumstance, then the atmosphere of worship will be the place where God does it. Can you say amen? It's the atmosphere of worship that God comes. When we say, God, I'm committing myself to fully focus and minister to you. Look what it says in 4 and 5. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, they will still be praising you. 
Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. And there's almost this connection. That as we take a position of praise, it gives us a position of strength. It says those that, who, who make, who go from strength to strength. See, the, the main function of the Holy Spirit is to lift up Jesus. How many realize that? He's there always to glorify Jesus. And I think that shows up in two ways. In our devotion to him and our ministry to him. I believe when we begin to make worship and praise and ministering to God a major priority in our life, we always change the valley of Baca into places of springs and pools and water. That's what happens. Every time you, you, you do that, that, you, that in your calamity, you begin to offer a sacrifice of praise. When it's hard, when it's difficult, even when the tears are running down your eyes, and you offer God a sacrifice of praise. In other words, you're saying, I refuse to be overwhelmed by the circumstance, but I'm going to overwhelm that circumstance by the love of God. You take that place where the enemy got in, that place of weeping, that place of discouragement, that place of failure, and you regain it by giving praise over the crisis, and you create a supernatural environment, a supernatural atmosphere over that valley of Baca. Because the worshipper, you know, let me just say this, some of the most Desperate, difficult places have become the major places of revival throughout the earth. Every time I read a revival, you know I always find? They were in a place of desperation. They were in a place of absolute challenges and overwhelming circumstances. You read about the early days of Korea where now some like 56% of Koreans are born again believers. But in the early days... There was incredible poverty in that nation. They just had a civil war and incredible destruction had taken place in that nation. And it began in the midst of a desperate, dark situation. People began to seek the face of God. And they began to worship God. And they began to, to, to passionately go after God. And what was such a place of destruction now is an incredible place where God has done amazing things. Biggest church in the world. A million people is in that place. Because God turned the valley of Baca into a credible place of springs and valleys. And that's what God does. And you say, man, if he can do that for a nation, I think he can do that in incredible ways for individuals. You see, worshippers have access to the presence of God. It's by the blood of Jesus. We come to the holies of holies. And God doesn't just want you to have a theology of it. He wants you to experience it. I love theology, but without the experience of it, and I kind of think it's meaningless. We've got to experience what the Bible says is available to us. And I think God says, I want to take that valley of Baca. 
And I want to bring it into an incredible place. And just to arrest those emotions, arrest those negative thoughts. And say, God, I'm going to give you praise. So what was meant as a place of destruction for my life can become a place of springs. That was, that was, the, which was a place of crisis can become an incredible move of God. It's making the decisions and choices, saying that's what I'm going to do. I'm making a decision. I'm making a choice. I can't change that valley of Baca. I can't change that disappointment. But what I can do is praise over it. What I can do is begin to worship. What I can do is begin to apply God's presence into that situation. As I do that, God begins to work. God begins to move. Look what it says in verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. This is what he says here. No good thing. That's a pretty great promise right there, isn't it? No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Isn't that fantastic? No good thing. What he says about a shield there? A shield often was used to blind the enemy. Because the shield would reflect the sun and blind the enemy. Now, you all know how much I love eagles. Remember I used to love eagles? And I still read up on eagles. You know the thing about an eagle? An eagle has got a certain eyelid. An eagle can look at the sun when it flies. And whenever anything will be chasing that eagle, that eagle will always head towards the sun. And that's the incredible thing. An enemy can't follow an eagle flying towards the sun. Because it blinds it. But because the eagle has a special eyelid, it can look towards the sun and head towards it. And I just love this thought. As I'm worshipping God, as I'm praising God, the incredible thing is the enemy can't follow me. All kinds of things kind of fall off. All the negative thoughts, all the, the, the destructive things that are against our life begins to fall away as you are focusing and heading towards the sun. Can you say amen? It just falls away. It just disappears as you pursue As you go after God with all your heart and you worship him and you praise him, certain things just fall off. You know the other side of the coin is, the more negative I am, the more complaining I am, the more moaning I am, on the other side, that attracts other things as well. Certain things come towards me rather than repel. You see that? I draw heaviness and darkness that's why the Bible says, for the spirit of heaven is put on what? The garment of praise. Just put it on. Because you will repel things from your life when you make that kind of decision and commitment. And let me just bring this other thing out here. This is, again, I think another powerful truth. It says in verse, two, verse 3, Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, that she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord, my God and my King. Here he is, he's talking about the presence of God, pursuing God, and suddenly he starts talking about birds. That's a kind of strange thing to do. But this is what he says, he says, Even birds have found a home around your house. This is what you get a hold of. This is what I kind of felt was a powerful revelation. I think there's a lot of Christians who live their life like they haven't got a home. 
So we've got Lydia with her. She's going back today. It's nice. And I kind of think when she comes back, she's kind of nice. Because she's nice to feel at home. You know, no more student cooking. You know, no more pop noodles or things like that. You know, she kind of finds a home. That's great. When they all come home, and you probably find that with your own children. They come, they find this home, a place where they belong. And I think a lot of Christians can live their life like they don't have a home. In other words, they've not really sensed or found a place in the Father's heart. And, and either you live like you have a home, or you live like you don't have a home. And what I mean by living your life like you don't have a home, it means this, that, that you're listening to the voice of the father of lies, who's telling you you're a nobody, who's speaking words of condemnation and accusation and continual criticism. And a lot of Christians live their life in agreement with the father of lies. And the more you live your life in agreement with the father of lies, the more you feel like you don't have a home. You don't really feel loved. You don't really feel welcomed by the Father. I use this term. I term it as an orphan spirit. An orphan spirit. Christians can live their life with an orphan spirit. They're saved, radically saved, but have never really lived their life with that sense the children of God. So they live like orphan, an orphan spirit. I think one of the, the spirits, if you like, that's been released on the earth is an orphan spirit. You go into the prisons. You talk to a lot of those prisoners. So much of it is a sense they don't know fatherhood. And no understanding of fatherhood. And they live as orphans. Even though they may have physical fathers, they live their life like orphans. They don't feel like they have a home. And I think people can spiritually live like that. They don't really feel accepted by God. They don't really feel God, they don't feel valued. They don't have a sense of belonging. They don't feel that, that God has accepted them. And they're constantly looking outside because inside their hearts, they are loved starved. Their hearts are loved starved. And they never live their life feeling like they have a home. There's a starvation of love inside them. And they try to be accepted by God by trying all kinds of things. And no matter how well they do it, how good they do it, it never seems quite good enough. They always hear that negative voice telling them, that was good, but it wasn't quite good enough. You did that so well, but yet you missed out on this. And so you live this life never feeling accepted, always feeling. Whatever you do never seems good enough, and you never live feeling at home with God. People can live their life like that. Christians can live their life like that. An orphan spirit. You know how it works, don't you, majorly? Is that we, we struggle, if you like, in feeling at home with God because you, we never feel really comfortable with God. We don't feel comfortable in being close to God. We don't feel comfortable in being intimate with God. We can do certain things, but we don't really feel comfortable in being really close.
close and being really intimate with God. We're kind of comfortable with the greatness of God, and that's wonderful, but we're uncomfortable with this sense that, that God has this incredible love towards us. We struggle with the goodness of God. We struggle with the mercy and love and kindness of God. Because those sort of things we don't feel comfortable with. Because we don't really feel the home of God. Have you ever had any visitors to your house? You, know, you tend not to walk around with your underwear, you know what I mean? You know? <laughs> And you feel a little bit uncomfortable when people come there. They're visitors and you welcome them and you're sitting there, but you're a little bit uncomfortable. You, you know, you, you guard your conversation maybe and you, and you, you know, you don't expect them to go into the fridge and say, well, can I, you know, make themselves a sandwich or put myself a cup of tea or something. You know, there's that little bit of, they're there, they're visitors, but they're not really totally at home there. Different to when people feel at home somewhere. They go into the fridge, you know, our girls don't say, please, may, may we go into the fridge and, you know, come, you know, they, they just do that. They're at home there. That's their home. And we've got to live our life like we've got a home. <laughs> we've got a God who loves us. A God who accepts us. A God who wants to draw near to us. The God doesn't want to be a guest. He wants your life to be a habitation. Where he dwells, where he is at home with. Amen? But how can he be at home if you've got all these wrong concepts of who God is and what he is towards you? That was Martha's big mistake. Martha's big mistake was that she treated Jesus like a guest when all he simply wanted to do was to simply be with her. I think one of the great leaders, I love this guy, Derek Prince. How many of you heard of Derek Prince? He's one of the greatest Pentecostal Bible teachers ever. Incredible, I just love Derek Prince. I love this teacher. He was an amazing man of God. He tells that if you read his story, his autobiography, kind of amazing really, he says, for 80 years of his life, he lived with, a, with an oppression over his life. This dark foreboding, he said, he lived over his life. Those foreboding thoughts that, that he was not accepted, not loved. And for 80 years he lived his life with this oppression, with this foreboding thought over him. This orphan spirit over his life. For 80 years he lived that life. And he did incredible things for God. And people can do incredible things for God with an orphan spirit. Trouble is you live with this oppression, this heaviness, this, this something over you. But he says he had this incredible experience with God. And for the first time, he could say, my father. And as we said, it became for the first time natural for him to say it. And all the foreboding, all the dark thoughts that were over his mind just disappeared, flashed, broken his life. And he lived for years later after that with incredible revelation of the father heart of a living God. I think often before a major revival can impact a life and before it can impact a church, before it can impact a nation, I think there's got to be a, a revelation of the heart of the father that breaks that orphan spirit. Malachi says in the last days, I'm going to restore the heart of the father to the children. 
And I think there's a spiritual connection there. That suddenly there becomes a new awareness, a new revelation, a new connection to the Father heart of God. You can't drive out an orphan spirit. All you can do is introduce it to the Father. Look at John 1, I'm almost finished with John 1.18. This is what he says. I just love this terminology here. This is where it says that, that, that this is where Jesus came from. I love this. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in, notice this, he's in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. Jesus in the bosom of the Father. That unity, that connection, that oneness. That place of intimacy. John 14 verse 2, and we kind of tend to use this as funerals and that's fine, but I've used it many times myself. This is what it says. In my Father's house are many mansions if it was not so, I go to prepare a place for you. I love it. That's intimate language. A place for you. A place where you can have a home. A place where you can have a place of value. A place where you can feel loved. A place where you can go every day and feel and come into a place of rest. Can you say amen? God says, I know the thoughts I have toward you. Thoughts of peace not of evil. This is about Peter Pan. Have you ever stories of Peter Pan? You know how he, how he used to fly, how he learned to fly, and he, the kids will learn to fly. And he says, have happy, have happy thoughts. Happy thoughts will cause you to fly. And I thought there's an incredible truth in that. Negative, dark thoughts tend to bring us down. I'd encourage you to fill your mind with happy thoughts. Thoughts about what God has towards you. God says, I've got incredible thoughts towards you. The psalmist says his thoughts towards us are more than the sand on the seashore. That's a lot of thoughts. And God has his incredible thoughts towards you. And they're happy thoughts. And we need to meditate on the thoughts that God has towards us that will lift us and stir us and will change our lives. Look at verse 18 of John 14. This is what he says. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you living your life feeling like you have no home. You have no value. You have no purpose. You have no security. But I want you to open my heart. Because he said in verse 21 of that same chapter, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it's he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him. I'm going to manifest myself to him. That word manifest means to make known. It means to reveal. It means to, to, to sense and know his presence in a very, very real way. God says, I'm not going to leave you feeling like you're living your life distant and remote from God. I'm going to do such a work in your heart. I'm going to pour my love in you and you're going to 
feel that, that orphan spirit that so operates against the Father heart of God. I'm not going to leave you feeling that way anymore. I want to work so much in your life that you know and you feel you've got a home. And I think it's that quality that turns the valley of Baca into the valley of spring and pools. And I'll tell you why. Because you're secure that whatever happening in your life, God's going to turn that thing around. You'll know the Father loves you, the Father's concerned for you, the Father's got you held in your hand, in his hand, and nothing's going to pluck you out of that. You feel secure, you feel at home, you feel accepted and loved by him. And so you know that valley, that disappointment, is going to be turned around. And you're going to walk through it, and you're going to leave a blessing there. You're going to say, you know what, that, that is where I experienced the incredible move of God in my life. What the devil desired for evil, God has turned that thing around for good. And now something incredible has happened. People's lives have been touched. People, that whole situation has been turned around. And what was a valley of Baca now has been a place, a pool, a spring, a move of God in my life. to this podcast from Delancey Little Church. For more podcasts, information, or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelin.co.uk.